Welcome to the Secret to My Success Show. Our guests will inspire, educate, and motivate our listeners who own a business or dream about being a business owner. Today's guests will share their stories and the secrets to their success. They have valuable insight with what they went through to start and grow their business. They will share the good, the bad, and the ugly. I promise it will be fun and valuable. Hi, this is Alan. Good day. Welcome to Secret to My Success. I'm here with my buddy, Mr. Luis Alasea. Finally said it right. I'm never going to say it. I just did it once for you, but you're Louis to me. Hello, hello, everyone. Have a great day, and uh, we're happy to be here today. Excellent. So we have two incredible guests today that are going to give us the good, the bad, and the ugly about their restaurant and the restaurant business. It's mm. going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. Uh, definitely should be fun. I'd love to hear some of them stories. So we have two really cool guests. We actually have Jason Emmett and Carl Barry. Gentlemen, say hello. Hey, guys. Which one is you? That was, that was Jason. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. That's Happy cool. to be here. Okay, good. We're so glad you're here. So, Jason, I've got to tell you, a lot of people have know the Emmett name for, for many reasons, and I met your dad, who was a really good guy, many, many years ago over at the Duffy's on Hypoluxo in Congress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I forgot you knew him. Uh, yeah, I knew your dad. So let's talk about this. So your dad has a really cool vision, and I remember reading about it that he was actually taking these distressed restaurants. I think that one over there on Hypoluxo was a former uh, R.J. Gators. Glory days. Uh, glory days was what I remember. I remember R.J. Gators long before that, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah it was, you're right. It was, it was the Gators and the glory days. You're right. Right? So I, I figured I'm a couple of weeks older than you, but yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about your dad, because I have a feeling that your dad was a pretty big role model and inspiration for you in the restaurant business. Yeah, I mean, of course, for sure he was. Um, he was the reason I got into this game in the first place. Right. So tell us a little bit about your dad's background. What made him decide to start trying to do this with, like I said, going into these properties? In fact, the one on Hypoluck, I'm sorry, Boynton Beach Boulevard and Jog Road was an old steakhouse. Mm-hmm. It was Richard's Steakhouse. You know, now you're, you're stretching my memory, but yeah, he, um, you know, my, my dad had a long career in uh, restaurants going back to New York City where he worked for a company up there for the better part of his career. And then in around 2001, decided he wanted to venture out on his own and, and had a vacation home in Florida and uh, started looking around Florida for a small business uh, to buy for himself. And that's how he came across what was then called uh, Duffy's, well, it was just Duffy's Draft House at the time. Okay. So it's funny. I went into Richard's Steakhouse once, and I promised myself I was never going back. Hmm. <laughs> I've never been. I've never eaten there. It was Not vile. Good. I mean, it was overpriced. It was disgusting. I'm so glad they didn't turn the lights on because I would have saw what I was eating, and I might have left. <laughs> wow. I didn't know it was that bad. It was that bad. But everybody said these great things about it. Like I said, I went in there once, I think, for an anniversary. It's like, I, I will never go back there. Can I ask you, do you have, uh, have you ever had the fear? Because obviously, there's a reason why a restaurant probably went down and you're taking it over and kind of like giving them a new facelift and, and make it better. But you always think about, okay, what's the reason why they went out? Was it location was bad? Was it the food was bad? Was it the service? And then you're coming in and you're taking the same building and you probably give them a little good facelift. Does that ever appear to you, okay, is it going to work? Because this location didn't work before. And that's something that, because I, I, 
always, always, you know, restaurants I always like, but I don't want to get into it because I know I used to have one and it was a headache. But uh, does does that mm-hmm. ever cross your mind of, on is it going to work because this was a bad location first or no? Uh, yes, every single time, only every time. <laughs> you know, the, the the idea is, you know, we have to, you have to sort of go in believing in what you're doing. And what we did back then, you're talking about the Duffy's days specifically because uh, Alan's right, you know, the, the sort of business model was always taking distressed locations, right? Existing restaurant locations that had gone out of business. So we always had to go in believing it went out of business for something, a reason other than the location. And that the location was good. The building was good. It had all, it checked all the boxes that we were looking for. And that there was just another reason it went out of business, whether it was, uh, like you just said, overpriced or the service was bad or the food was bad or whatever the reason was or, more often than not, it was it was just someone that got into the restaurant business for the wrong reasons. You know, we, we came across a lot of people that just were, you know, they, they thought, you know, I like to eat in restaurants. I enjoy being around people. This is going to be easy. And then they find out it's, you know, late nights, long hours. It's not just about you know, giving away drinks all night long. It's, it's actual real work. And people quickly decide that they, you know, want to do something else with their time. So that, that's that's how we would do it, but but you are right. I mean, every single time you worry, is this going to work? You know, or and is this building cursed? Not not for nothing, but uh, there was a lot of restaurants that fit all of that criteria that we turned down because the building or the location was no good. Mm-hmm. That's also true. So, that's also true. So years and years ago, I was part of a, what's called the NSVP, National School Volunteer Partnership Program, and uh, I was a young guy and I was paying for field trips for kids that wanted to see business. And the first business they all wanted to see was a bar. Cause you're right, Jason, the idea of passing out drinks to all your friends and partying, that's a really cool reason to own a bar. <laughs> so, but, but so we went in on Monday and I told the owner, I'm like, if, if you could just make this place like I a dump, you know, don't do anything. He's like, okay. So they came in on Monday morning and the place was a dump. Garbage was everywhere. And this guy's like, look, the glamour and glory of what you think, it's called nights, weekends, and holidays. And then you have to clean and then you have to order and you have to hire and you have to cook. And he's explaining to all these kids that what you see on TV owning a bar is nowhere near what I get to go through. Tell me your thoughts on that. I mean, you, you've explained it. I mean, it, it's, it's not... You know, listen, there, there are a lot, I, I should say it differently, there are a lot of those elements to it. You know, the, the, the fantasy does meet the reality in certain respects, right? I mean, it's a business you get into because you want to be around people and you enjoy the camaraderie that, that naturally comes of it. There are those, those elements to it. But you do have to understand that there is a lot more to it and, and not, it's not just those elements. And... That's why I say I've seen so many times over and over again, people that are, you know, professional something, say a lawyer, a doctor, uh, you know, insurance salesman, whatever, that get into the restaurant and bar business because, again, they like to eat at them and they like to drink at them and, and they think that that's all there is to it. And it's just there is a lot more to it and there is another side to it that is far, far less glamorous, you know, and when you're cleaning up your bar, you know, on, on New Year's Day, because, you know, that's just the name of the game. You know, you, you start thinking twice about it if, if you're not, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. I got a strange question for you, Carl. I'm going to get you in. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I want you to think about these shows, uh, Restaurant Impossible, Bar Rescue. I know a lot of it's some drama for TV. But when you walk in there and through this eyes of the camera 
and you see what's involved and owners that are doing crazy, stupid things, it actually opens your eyes as a patron as to what you should be looking for. How has shows like that affected your business? Well, everybody thinks they're a critic. Um, you know, and it's not just those shows, but it's also all of the review sites as well. You know, every, everybody has an opinion on what they think uh, the experience should look like or feel like. Um, and, you know, not for nothing, there, there's a lot of truth to, uh, to what's happening in Bar Rescue, even though it's dramatized a lot. Uh, you know, there's many, many, many times, you know, the other side of Jason and I's world is our hospitality consulting business, um, PhD or Paradigm Hospitality Group. And that's exactly what I do. I go in and I do a, you know, an assessment of the business based on just first glance, right? Hey, you know, efficiencies are wrong or, you know, the inconsistency in recipes or, you know, sloppy staff or managers sitting at the bar drinking. That stuff really happens. Um, so it, it's changed our consumers' perspective because they're just more used to seeing that stuff now through a lot of different lenses. And it's not just those bar rescue shows either. It's a lot of these, you know, culinary shows, uh, Iron Chef and things of that nature. So it's changed uh, the, the consumer sentiment in the way that they they have a higher expectation now. Um, and they're just more aware in uh, as it pertains to hospitality in general, not just food quality, beverage quality, and, and you know, service. So it, it's interesting how this industry has changed I've been doing this, geez, uh, since like '99, um, so many moons, and uh, and it's changed a lot over the years. So, the next question for both of you guys: How have, how did you guys meet? And then I want to hear about your new ventures and what you're doing. <laughs> Carl, you want to take that one? No, I'm going to let you do it. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> we may have slightly different memories, but. Um, I had uh, decided in 2004 to join the family business. Uh, back then, it was, for me, a, a short-term thing. I thought I'd head down to Florida for a couple of years and help out and head back to New York where I was living. And, and uh, you know, obviously, for a variety of reasons, uh, Florida grew on me, and I've, I've stayed, and I've now been in Florida for 18 years. But back then, I didn't know that. And, and my assignment when I came down here was to take the worst performing restaurant in the company over as general manager, which I thought was somewhat strategic. I thought at, at 24 years old, I was, uh, you know, I was the smartest guy in the room, I guess. But I thought that it was better to take the worst performing store because I knew I would always be Paul's son, right? No matter what I did, I'd be Paul's kid in the company. And so I wanted to at least do something that no one else wanted. And so Boca Raton was where I was headed. And in the course of doing some rounds uh, with my dad and visiting a few stores and tasting new menu items, we stopped by uh, our Village Boulevard store at the time. And it was after a long day of, of tastings where, you know, there was just, you know, you, you go around and do these tastings and you're, you're being very picky. You're, you're, you're picking it apart. You're, decide, you're trying to see, you know, what, what chefs are doing what and where did they miss and what ingredients did they get wrong. And, you know, just, just to try to correct things along the way. And in the course of that, that game, Carl was a relatively new assistant chef at the time. And I was a brand new GM down in Boca. And uh, here comes Carl after you know, we sit down and order our food. And whatever it was, if there was issues with it, I don't remember. I'm sure there were. Carl was right there saying, you know, instead of giving a list of excuses, he was sitting there saying, you know, hey, no problem. Got it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Got it. Move on. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow. 
this is the kind of a guy I could use down in Boca. And so uh, that was how that happened. But Carl, did I did I uh, gloss over any important details there? No, uh, other than the fact that I uh, I missed that chef meeting where we reviewed all that food because uh, my friend turned 21 and I took him out to a strip club. I mean, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I completely overslept and didn't make the meeting and totally was blind <laughs> preparing all that food. And it was a rather terrifying experience sitting down with your father and having to go over all of it. The, those details I didn't have back then, but uh, I was, I, needless to say, I thought uh, he was the right kind of guy for my operation, not knowing about the strip club. Now I feel even better about it. <laughs> so was that part of your review, Carl, that they, they gave you an annual review and thanked you for the, the stripper opportunity? Yes, no? <laughs> That's good. That's good. No, no, no. It was, uh, it was, it was interesting, uh, I, and all of that was correct. I had actually just moved my life down to uh, Wellington for the opportunity to go into management uh, with Duffy's. I had opened the uh, Duffy's in downtown Stewart in like, I think it was October of three or something. And uh, after a year there, uh, I was looking to pursue hospitality management and they, Duffy's was opening a brand new store on Village Boulevard. And uh, it was kind of, the deal was uh, move your life down to Palm Beach and we'll give this thing a shot. And that's, uh, no, it wasn't even a couple of months later when uh, when I met Jason. It's funny because I met you, Carl, at Duffy's many, many years ago. And a lot of your family members, I think including your wife, all used to work at Pete Rose that I used to drag my kids down to the restaurant down in Boynton. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. Both uh, Tara and uh, Katie, my wife, both worked at Pete Rose there. I think that, what was that, in the Marriott, what's now the Marriott there on Congress? It's now a daycare. It's official. Because I think it was kind of a daycare when the girls worked there. <laughs> sorry that was bad but yeah i love that place you know it's funny it was it was just nice because everybody kind of knew who you were and everybody took care of you and uh you know the idea that yeah the food was okay but you could always get in which is kind of scary you know it's not good that if you can get into a restaurant on a friday night what's going on like you shouldn't be able to walk in and sit down at a restaurant <laughs> on a friday night right that, that, that is a scary thing that right is a scary moment to walk into an empty restaurant on a friday Right. You know, it's kind of crazy, especially with the TVs. You know, it's funny. I, I was in there and I was friends with one of the managers and they were having a New Year's Eve. I'm sorry, a Super Bowl party. And Pete was coming in and their DJ didn't show up. So they asked me to MC mm. their Super Bowl party on the fly. Ah, it had to be fun. I did have fun. I, I wish they had a little more time. We could have had a little more mm. competition. I like when you just shift from the hip, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so guys let's talk about your new venture and i can't wait to talk about woo socks too so let's hear about this what are you guys doing well I, you know we uh i guess to catch you guys up you know because we talked a lot about duffy's in 2019 i made the decision that it was time for me to step away uh from you know the day-to-day -day management of duffy's i had been running the company for the five or so years since my dad passed away. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, it felt like the right time to sort of step away and step into my own world. And remember, I had only planned to come down and, and work in the family business for a couple of years, and it ended up being closer to 15. So I didn't have a, a truly defined plan of what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to go out on my own. And so I after you know that decision, my first call was to Carl and said, "Listen, you know, I think it may be time." And uh, and he was right there with me. Hold on one second. And before, then uh, before you step forward, let me ask you: How did your family take ahead. it when you said, "Look, I'm stepping out of Dad's 
footsteps. And you're like, once again, your dad was such a great guy. He was amazing. What he did for the community, for the employees, he really was a great guy. But you're telling your family now you're separating from the family business. How did that work? You know, it, it um, wasn't a total shock, I think. Um, they, you know, Their initial reaction was one in which they asked me to stay on as sort of a uh, figurehead, my words, not theirs, um, you know, to, because I had, you know, following my dad's footsteps, I had sort of taken over his role as the face of the company. And, you know, I had done all the, the you know, uh, you know, sort of required press interviews and newspaper stuff. And, and so they had at first asked if I'd be interested in staying on and doing that. But the problem for that for me was just that, that would have been a great retirement job. You know, if I was at the end of my career and felt like, you know, I, I could, you know, work part-time and go around, shake hands, kiss babies, do a couple interviews and play golf, you know, that'd be great. But uh, I just felt like at, at the time I was 39 years old, I did. I thought I had at least, you know, one good act left in me before I did something like that. And I don't golf. Okay. So <laughs> um, we... You know, I think that hey, after some conversations, there was definitely some concern about the public perception of it and how it would it would appear and uh, who would step into the role, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, they, they ran a search, found a, a very qualified replacement for me. And, uh, you know, he was very gracious in the transition, you know, offered uh, in my brief interaction with him, offered to, you know, you know, Ask me the same way I would have asked, you know, someone in, 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 I guess, in a similar way, you know, let me know what you see out there and I'll be the first to jump on it. And I just, I told him, listen, Joe, I, I'm going to be your, your favorite shareholder of this company. I'm, I'm not going to set foot in the duppies. You're never going to hear from me. I'm going to fade into the woodwork because I just didn't think that would be right. You know, you can't, he would just be so set up for failure if I was going to keep walking around and, you know, people are going to start, you know, coming to me saying, hey, the new guy's ticking on me, you know, help me, you know, <laughs> so... Um. I uh, I thought I thought it better just to you know fade into the woodwork and go on and try to you know carve my own path at that point. So your decision was the right one. I think so. I okay. mean, uh, listen, the, the the end of the story is not yet written, but I I have been in thoroughly thoroughly enjoying these days. And you could cut that both ways, right? Because you know, 2019 famously preceded 2020. And it became immediately apparent that it was not an ideal time to either be the CEO of a indoor sports-themed concept when sports had been shut down by COVID and indoor dining was all of a sudden out of fashion. Um, but it was also an in-ideal time to be a brand-new entrepreneur trying to carve it on your own. And, you know, Carl and I have... Uh, several uh battle scars to show for it because it was uh an interesting time to be trying to carve your own path that's for sure so you guys are partners correct correct so it's really hard to find a partner that has the same work ethic and values that you do so sometimes there's this incongruity between partners and i think it's really my opinion is having partners that are a little bit different, not always alike, so that you can get different perspectives. Tell me how you two complement each other. I think that's an excellent way of describing it. I would share that view, that it is extremely difficult to find business partners in this world that that are, are both of those things. And I think those things are critically important, right? You, you know, to find people who are philosophically aligned with you, right? And, and I think 
one thing you could say for sure, Carl and I are extremely aligned philosophically. We, we understand the type of culture we want to uh, engender in, in our company, right? And it's the same one that we grew up in, right? It was, it was my dad's culture before us, and it's one of, you know, treating people well and, and you know, doing the right thing and, you know, knowing that long-term it'll pay off or that, you know, investing in the quality, even at the, you know, short-term expense of profits, you know, this, these sorts of philosophical beliefs, we don't even have to talk about them because Carl and I, you know, just, you know, we're always on the same sheet of page, same sheet of music, excuse me, that, that way. With that said, I think, you know, it's also as important to have complementary skills and, you know, Carl is extremely strong where I am weak, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure the inverse of that is true, but, mm-hmm. but certainly uh, you know, Carl's strengths compensate for my weaknesses. Yeah. Got a question. How do you decide on the menu, or does the menu change according to, like, you know, season, summer, whatever, winter, different menu? How do you adjust that, or do you? I mean, it depends on which concept you're talking about, right? I mean, we've, we've been involved in several now. We, we came from Duffy's. We've, in the course of um, our projects since then, we've done everything since from casual dining to fine dining to um, a, a brewery restaurant concept that we uh, were still uh, uh, owners of. And it's, you know, so yes, I mean, the, the answer is yes. You have to change menus. You don't always have to do them seasonally. Uh, Carl has much more of a culinary background. And again, you could probably speak to this better than I could, Carl, uh, in terms of, you know, philosophy around menu changes. Well, there's, there's a couple of different things that come into play, right? You, you take the data that you have, what, what is selling, what's not selling, um, and then you take you, ab- you absolutely take seasonality into account, right? So uh, if you're going into the summer seasons, you're going to look for lighter dishes. Uh, you know, uh, we're close to the beach here in Bureau Beach for our American Icon Brewery location, so we start incorporating some more seafood items. Uh, and typically, you know, the rule of thumb is between – three and four menu changes a year. Uh, but they sometimes a the menu change is, you know, three items. It, it could be that subtle. Uh, you know, you don't want to disrupt the entire operation to, uh, to plug in some new items. And we take the liberty to use our Blackboard as kind of uh, an opportunity to test the waters with, with our guests and help, help, our, help the menu decide itself, you know. Um, and not... That's, that's not always the case. So when we took over operations at American Icon uh, before we acquired it, the menu was like, what's it, like 74-ish items? Um, and, you know, Jason and I had, again, being on the same sheet of music, as he said, always said that the way to do this is do less better. So under the cover of COVID, we were able to take a menu that was slightly oversized and dwindle it down to like the first version was I don't know, say 20 items or something um, so we, we changed our approach took all the entrees off and, and just brought it down to 20 items and then just made those 20 items really special it's funny Robert so, Irvine from Restaurant Impossible you see him going there and the first thing he does is they bring all the food out he eats it screams yuck at most of it and says your menu sucks it's too big it's almost standard <laughs> So, guys, we're actually going to go to a quick break. We'll be right back on the flip side of this. We want to hear about your ventures. We want to go into your ventures 
and not talk about menu items, but at some point, I really need you guys to figure out a way to make me gorgonzola chips, okay? <laughs> not a problem. I miss gorgonzola chips, and the restaurant that used to have it went out that was a brew house. I need gorgonzola chips. So on that note, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Give us a minute to talk to some of our sponsors. When it comes to health coverage, you want solid value from a trustworthy company you can rely on. Florida Blue offers Medicare Advantage plans that can help you get more out of your health coverage. And don't you want more? Call Apple Insurance, your local agency for Florida Blue, at 888-MY-BLUE-8 to have all your Medicare questions answered and learn about different options. Don't settle for less than the value and stability Florida Blue has delivered throughout the state of Florida to Medicare beneficiaries for more than 25 years. Value, security, knowledge, and trust. Blue Medicare from Florida Blue means more. Call Apple Insurance at 888-MY-BLUE-8 today to speak to a licensed agent about your Medicare Advantage options. That's 888-MY-BLUE-8. Apple Insurance and Florida Blue. Call 888-MY-BLUE-8 today. Florida Blue is an independent license of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. It's hard enough to find a job these days, but it's even harder when you don't know what your references are saying about you. Maybe you've spent a lot of time working on your resume, cover letter, going from interview to interview, and finding you've never received any offers. If you're running across any of these issues, then reach out to Check My References today. Check My References is the most comprehensive reference checking service for over 20 years, and they do it for less. Check My References services are trusted by lawyers, and their reports are even used in court. Find out what employers are saying about you. Visit CheckMyReferences.com today. That's CheckMyReferences.com. Or call 877-593-3633. Control your narrative with Check my references. Welcome. This is Alan, Secret to My Success. We're back on our break, and we are here with Jason and Carl and my buddy, Luis Elisea. Luis, listen, yes. listen to these guys talk about foods making me hungry. I know. I, I, so I'm thinking about doing after this. My what, treat today. You want to go to Vero? Mm, no, it's a little too far. Really? <laughs> I gotta be there. I gotta be there. I gotta be in Orlando. I'll go to Vero. You guys make me gorgonzola chips because if you make me gorgonzola chips, I'm gonna drag Luis and his kids mm. up to Vero. No, no. I have to believe we can make that happen. <laughs> Excellent. So, guys, let's continue to talk about the business. Let's hear about all the different because I know you're doing a bunch of things. You were doing some management. You opened up your own brew house. You're running uh, concessions for the Woo Socks. Tell me about all this stuff and how did you get there? How did you get this stuff? The Woo Socks. You no, know, I think I, I think the I'll, I'll answer those in reverse order. The, the way we got to everywhere that we've been involved in was all through uh, personal relationships um, that Carl and I had developed over the years. You find that the hospitality business in general is a fairly small world, especially when you focus down on Palm Beach County, Florida, or Florida in general. And, you know, you, you start to develop, you know, battlefield friendships in this in this game because, you know, we're all fighting the same fight. And though on the surface, people, you know, might be, you know, viewed from the outside as competitors. We're all, you know, friendly competitors. And so once uh, Carl and I started uh, looking around for when we were leaving Duffy's, it was all through personal connections that got us to, you know, all our different projects. 
Um, right now, we, as Carl said, we own a brewery called American Icon Brewery up in Vero. Um, it's, uh, Carl can speak more to the details there, but you know, it's a it's a full service restaurant and uh, brew house that that you know, produces as many as 18 different beers and has distribution all over South and Southeast and West uh, Florida at this point. And uh, Carl's been working hard on expanding that uh, distribution side of that business. We also started a, a restaurant consulting. Hold on uh, before we let, that, let's, let's go back. Oh, American icon. Oh, what's yeah. the, what's the theme of this restaurant? Go ahead, Carl. You, you can describe better than I can. <clears throat> so uh, the, the building itself kind of helped, determine the, the theme and the feel for, for the restaurant and for the, the brewery concept altogether. So it's built in a historical diesel power plant uh, that was in operation from 1926 into the 50s, uh, powering Bureau Beach. And uh, then it sat dormant for, for quite some time, several decades. Uh, and then the founder of the company, he had a vision to uh, to open a brewery in uh, in the Vero Beach market and uh, and built this beautiful building up here about 20,000 square feet seats about 400 uh, has a full menu full liquor bar full retail space and in uh, a 15 barrel brew house um, and the the field is very industrial inside um, but a lot of the concept is designed around iconic American things whether it be actors musicians uh, Presidents, um, you know, anything that was historical and iconic in American history, or, or today for that matter. Um, and from the beer side of the world, we have, you know, arguably one of the better brewmasters in Florida. Uh, he studied in Chicago and Munich, Germany. He takes brew, brewing very seriously down to a, you know, cellular and molecular level. Uh, I call him, you know, a mad scientist. His name is Jesse Robles and just won, uh, you know, a gold medal for best beer Florida in our strawberry shortcake sour. Um, Wait a minute. And strawberry shortcake sour? That's a beer? Yeah, it was, uh, it's a Berliner Weiss, a uh, kettle sour beer that's uh, fruited with strawberries and we put Madagascar vanilla and uh, lactose sugars in it. Fantastic. Wow. Hmm. Something for underage so, kids, right? Oh, no, no. Very adult beverage. Five percent ABV. Very adult beverage. It's uh, it's considered a dessert sour. I'll uh, I'll swing some by your office and drop them off. Oh, that would be amazing. Hmm, I like to try. I mean, I'm not a fan of those heavy beers, but I mean, that sounds like a fun beer. Excellent. I, I'm sorry. I just had to stop. That just sounded way too good to not, yeah. you know, get a little more detail. So well, keep going. I'm sorry. The the idea here is, uh, you know, he does the traditional beers very very well, right? So uh, our unfiltered uh german pilsner it's called factory pilsner or unfiltered german lager is uh you know one back-to-back-to-back metals so that's that's a beer where everything is you can't hide any flavors in it right it's a beer in its purest form um so what we're doing is we're seeing great success in the market as we grow distribution so when when was it 2019 we started distributing beer at a very small rate and then you know, now we're distributing from Cape Canaveral all the way through Key West and then up the West Coast to Sarasota, Bradington, kind of the outskirts of the, the Tampa Bay market. Um, and we're up to about 350 bars and restaurants serving our product, and we're in, you know, all total wines. We're working on relationship with uh, ABC and Whole Foods and Sprouts and things like that, but we're uh, we're making some great, some great headway in the market. 
And the reason I think it resonates so well with the consumer is that our beer is all uh, all natural, right? We're we're using all German malts. We're using all RO water. We're using fresh yeast. We're using uh, the best hops available on the market. And uh, we're not cutting any corners when it comes to ingredients. And, and the process is, is very clean. So it's an unfiltered product. And uh, that high-quality product is resonating well with the consumer. I want to know and when we're going to do our next trip to Germany with you guys to kind of shop things around, right? I assume you both have been to Germany <laughs> and looking at some of these places, right? <laughs> I never have, but I'm in for that trip for sure. Sprechen Sie Deutsch. Uh, I'm as, ready. As am I. I'm ready. Tell me when. Louis and I will go with you. Well, fun with that. Hey, how many of these uh, places do you guys own right now? So, okay, we're going to get back to Jason now. Let's get to the next. So we started American Icon, and Jason, I've so rudely interrupted you. The next business you have is? Uh, no, so first of all, you did not rudely interrupt me. You, you probably kept me on a message there. Um, so so basically what, we, what we've decided, what we've done is we've divided our world into things that we own, which right now is is limited to American Icon. We we did own um, another uh, couple of concepts, uh, one of which we have since sold uh, a, a, a collection of restaurants connected to movie theaters. Um, and for a strategic reason, we, we sold those back to the movie theater company they were connected to. And we were operating uh, the operations at the Sunday House down in Del Rey for a couple of years um, for the people that own that property. But they have decided to go under a fairly extensive renovation. And uh, the future down there is, is somewhat uncertain. So we've packed up our operation and uh, we, may, we may be back there. We'd love to be back there. But uh, we, you know, we understand that, that renovations take a lot longer than anyone thinks they do these days. So... Uh, We've decided to now focus on American Icon as our primary business that we, Carl and I, own. And we've also started a restaurant consulting uh, practice, really born out of need that, you know, I have, uh, we both have friends in this industry uh, peripherally that, that want to do things in the restaurant business who have, you know, asked us for help and guidance in, in, in various forms or fashions. That's actually how the Sunday House started. It started as a management consulting deal that then we converted once COVID hit um, to a, a deal that we owned outright. But the latest project is for a, a good friend of mine who owns the Fun Depot uh, down in Lake Worth, uh, who has decided to add a bowling alley and restaurant to his already successful arcade and um, go-kart uh, facility. And he's asked for some help and guidance in building out that restaurant and potentially, you know, operating it into the future. So that's been our latest project on, on that side of our world. So my kids had a fun depot party when they were young. It was a pretty cool place back then, but... It still is. Yeah, it's a great place. That's pretty wild. Yeah, it still is. Okay, so fun depot. i got to get into this Woosocks thing. you got to talk to me what you're doing. <laughs> so the Woosocks is an interesting thing. So the other thing that happened when I left Duffy's, I sent out an email uh, to all my you know, friends and colleagues. Not, it wasn't to solicit opportunities so much as to just let everyone know that, hey, don't email me at my Duffy's email anymore and uh, to let everyone know what was going on. And I got a call from a, a good friend of mine that I've known since um, I basically was in high school um, who uh, owns and operates the Worcester, well, the then Pawtucket Red Sox that, we're in the process of moving to Worcester, 
saying, hey, this is, a, you know, this is great timing. Now that you're uh, not running guppies anymore, we're about to open up a brand new ballpark in Worcester, and we could really use some help on the food and beverage side. And then, so I you know, said, sure, great. I'm happy to you know, consult you guys and, and uh, you know, clap them back. Then COVID hit, and what was supposed to be the final season in Pawtucket uh, was canceled. There was no minor league baseball in 2020. And they, you know, in order to, which, which was noble, they really wanted to not uh, eliminate any staff or reduce any salaries, which was unique. And I think, you know, only they did it in minor league baseball. And the way they did that was they turned their ballpark in Pawtucket into a restaurant. And they made it a sort of pop-up restaurant where uh, we brought tables out onto the, literally into the outfield and turned the entire full-time front office staff into waiters and bartenders. And that's where, you know, we got involved. And, and hold, hold on one second, Louis. Did you know that? No, no idea. Really? Now, let me ask you. So, Lucchino, doesn't Larry Lucchino own the Pateket Sox yeah. or the Woo Sox? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not so sure was, 100% percentage, but I know I thought he was part owner at one point. So was he involved in this yeah. conversion, or did he come in after they moved to, to Worcester? No, so so uh, that so I didn't know you knew the name. So yeah, Larry Lucchino. There's not too many the, names uh, that Alan don't. Know. I'm a diehard Red Sox fan. Okay, <laughs> especially die when hard. they had the B in the front. Right. So from so for my Yankee fans, I tell them the B is for Bornstein because they're not smart enough to understand that the Red Sox is a good team to follow. <laughs> well, then you you know the players already. I did. Larry Lucchino owns the team. And a guy named Charles Steinberg is the uh, president of the team. And those were the guys who called me. I've known them pretty much my whole life. Larry Lucchino and my grandfather were best friends uh, for the better part of 30 years. And you know, we've all stayed in touch. And uh, I used to hang around these guys when I was a kid. And, and, uh, and so it was a great opportunity to come up here and help them out. But not knowing at the time that what, what it would become, right? We... You know, thought we were putting together just a short-term pop-up restaurant. It ended up lasting all season long. It made national headlines. The New York Times came out and did a story on it. It was it was a pretty cool effort, and it was a great example of just a team. You know, just everyone rolling up their sleeves and doing it together. Bunch of you know the ticket sales guys and the radio broadcasters and the corporate sales guys and everybody became servers and bartenders and food runners and. And uh, the director of ticketing became the expo, and and uh, it was just it was an amazing uh, thing to see to watch everyone sort of do whatever was necessary to keep the team, you know, cash flow positive to some degree, so everyone could at least still make a salary when there was no minor league baseball to be played. Did you send Carl up there to teach the guy how to be the expo guy and all this stuff, or how, <laughs> how did they figure it out? We we uh, we spared Carl. From, from that effort, uh, you know, Carl was enmeshed in just keeping uh, American Icon alive at the time. So what we did do was take another uh, longtime uh, trainer of ours, someone who had worked for Carl, and Carl was uh, heading up all of training for Duffy's. You know, we had a, we had a group of, of uh, trainers that would go with him, and we took one of those guys and, and uh, brought him up and his wife, and they, they became our trainers and they taught you know gave everyone a crash course and how to take tables and how to open bottles of wine and and uh off we went to the races and since then i've stayed involved so that was supposed to be just you know i guess you know a a short-term thing but since then i've stayed involved now that the team has moved to worcester 
uh, helping them oversee their concessions. Offer. They have a concessionaire. I, you know, we are not the concessionaires, Carl and I. I just simply come up here and uh, help oversee the food beverage operation and translate for Larry and Charles and the rest of the leadership team here. You know, uh, restaurant food and beverage can sometimes be a bit of a foreign language if you don't have a uh, significant background in it. And that's what I consider myself a translator as, as much as anything. Hmm. I'm familiar with Worcester. When I played actually uh, with the Red Sox in 95, that's actually where I live. Then I used to call it Worcester. Worcester. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people do. It is not spelled the way it sounds. Yeah. And how many people call it Peabody? Massachusetts? Isn't it Peabody? Peabody. Isn't it Peabody? Peabody? I heard it. I heard it too. Right. They, they name things really weird in Massachusetts. So how long did it take you to figure yeah, that out you. up there? Me? Yeah. yeah. Uh, not long. I, I, I uh, as, it, as it so happens, I went to college in Worcester. Uh, my 20 year reunion just passed, so I'm, I'm at risk of aging myself a little bit. So this was something of a return to a town that I remembered from 20 years ago. But, uh, so, no, I, I had learned how to say it uh, some time ago. So, first of all, it's not Worcester, it's Worcester. Worcester. That's true. That's right? correct. Okay. That, that, is, that is technically correct. What's yeah. that? The only thing I uh, remember was a lobster shack on a turn over there getting off the highway, and I used to tell the owner, every time after we play a 1 o'clock game, I need uh, two lobsters, two two-pounders, and he had them ready for me. <laughs> really? Yeah, every, every single time. You had some pull as a player, didn't you? Well, it's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. Okay. But you coach for the Red Sox too. Yes, yes, yes. But that those days, no, I stayed downtown in Cambridge and didn't want to go that far. Oh, okay. So Worcester is nice for you because they they have that little airport. I call it the Pregnant Taco Bell. It's like two terminals. <laughs> Boy, like a Beach. guy that really knows Worcester. I do. It uh, it does fly direct to Fort Lauderdale. I have never done it because the flights are like at midnight and five a.m. or something. Hmm. So I choose to go to Logan. I'm telling you, I love that airport. I think you could park for free now. It's pretty pretty amazing out there, and it's super simple. I mean, if there's a log jam, there's four people waiting to get through. <laughs> In all these ventures you've done, give me a headache situation, a situation where you feel like, what am I getting myself involved? Why did I do this? Oh, boy. You don't have to go 10 or 20. Or I just need one. Okay, by the way, guys, I don't want to hear about anything between the two of you that gave you a headache, Okay. That didn't sound right. Boy, how much time do you have? <laughs> a headache? A headache in particular. Carl, help me out here. The what, one that you uh, say, oh, my God, what am I doing? Oh, I mean, I can tell you about the worst day in my career. That, uh, that classifies. It was, it was It was when uh, Duffy's decided to, you know, do 25 bonus wings for nine ninety nine for the Super Bowl. <laughs> I remember that one. You run out of wings? It was. Oh, out of every piece of protein in my building, I was giving out cases of beer to people as I was apologizing. I'm like, here, take a case of beer. I'm so sorry. Really? Um, it was, it was, people were mad. I don't want people, the beer. I want the wings. Jason, did you know this, that he was giving away cases of beer? Oh, God. I, I, I didn't know that, but I was around <laughs> for those days. I, uh, I got stuck in one of our restaurants. So it was so badly backed up that people were waiting in line past uh, kickoff, which is, you know, just a disaster. Right now you're causing people to miss the beginning of the Super Bowl. And we just started auctioning off wings. It was just, you know, who cares what kind of sauce you ask for? I've got barbecue. Who wants it? Great. You're out. Next. Who's Yeah, that's definitely a headache. That so, was one we did not uh, repeat. We did not repeat. I remember, if you're talking about worst days of, of careers, m- mine was probably 
2006 World Cup U.S. versus Italy, where I foolishly thought that soccer would just not bring a crowd. And uh, boy, was I wrong. With five servers and, uh, and a restaurant full of people, it was a uh, utter catastrophe. But, uh, you know, these days, you know, they, they come and they go. And in the middle of the battle, you do think those thoughts, Luis, like you, like you said, you know, what, what, is, uh, what am I doing here? You know, why, why are you doing this? But, you know, you inevitably get to the other side of it, and, and you have these sort of war stories, for lack of a better term, that, that you, you almost look back on fondly. Though I would not want to relive the 06 uh, World Cup nor the 2012 uh, Buffalo Wing disaster. But, uh, you know, I don't know. There, there's something about, you know, you know, fighting through these battles together. It does build a sense of camaraderie. I still remember the, the staff we had on those days, the, the servers, the bartenders, the cooks that all sort of soldiered through it together. And, you know, I, I think that, that's part of, the, of this business that I, I have come to love is, is uh, the memories you form, the friendships you form, and, and uh, so that it stays with you. I guess it's kind of like playing baseball. You're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn from them. And I think you become a better mm -hmm. after you make those mistakes because it teaches you for the future. But now on the other hand, what scenario or what situation you feel like, wow, we feel so grateful we did this and we helped this. And can you name one? Because uh, there's always a, there's always got to be one that say, what, I'm proud we did this. So you're not a golfer and it could be that, oh, I overhit the ball, I hit a tree and I landed two inches from the cup. We call it the near miss. So what is it that you actually came upon as an accident that you said, wow, that's incredible. We need to do that. Wow, that's a great question, and it merits a better, more thoughtful answer. Uh, things that we sort of stumbled upon that were fortuitous in nature. I'm, I'm well, leaning on you, I, mean, I I would say, you know, American Icon Brewery, you know, because – Really, that also was another thing that was born from Jason's uh, exit email. Um, you know, and Jason called me. We were actually in the process of building uh, our concept that was associated with the movie theaters from scratch. And uh, Jason called me, hey, you know, we may have an opportunity for this place called American Icon. Let's go take a look. And uh, the first day that I walked in here, uh, I was just blown away. Um, and this was actually a consulting arrangement as it began. And uh, I'm just thankful for the way that things shook out here. I, I, I count my lucky stars every day because I've really fallen in love with this concept. Uh, I've embraced it, you know, wholly. Um, and it's, it's so cool. It's been such a blessing. Uh, it's everything that you dream of from a hospitality perspective, um, the culture, the environment, the, the way that the, the consumers, the consumer sentiment about the place. I mean, you just go online and read the, you know, overwhelming five-star reviews that just pour out of every review site about this place. It's, it's incredible. Um, so I, I, I think this is a situation that kind of we happened to uh, fall into that we have now transitioned into, uh, you know, a long-term business for ourselves where we now own it. it it's, it's incredible. And I, I wake up happy every day because of it. That's, and that's, a, that's a very good point. I mean, yeah, that, that, uh, and, you know, I think that whole thing, it came about because Mike Rector, who, who founded the concept, reached out, you know, basically asking for help with it. You know, wasn't sure what to do with it. He had had a series of just very substandard uh, leaders that he had hired for it. Not, not his fault. You know, it's just, it's just the way it works. We, 
we all have those stories, by the way, of people we've hired that, uh, you know, you're just never, you're never a hundred percent, you know, and, and I think if you get a 50% hit ratio on the people you, you hire and trust, you're, you're way ahead of things. Uh, well, yeah, or you know, you're batting, you know, 300 to, to use terms Luis will be more familiar with there. You know, I think that, that would even be a success. And, right. and, and I think that, you know, when, when it came to American Icon, I went and took a look at it, you know, as soon as Mike uh, Rector called me, took a look around and said, my God, this is, this is a really cool concept. Like, there is, there was, the bones were there. You know, you could tell right away. Uh, the, the branding was cool. The, the look of the building was great. The, the, the beer was great. The food needed some help, for sure. And, uh, and that's where the first thing Carl did when he jumped into it, you know, once I called him. And, and it's just been, it has been a great, uh, a great you know, uh, positive that has come out of the, all the negative that came from COVID. The, the best thing that happened, I think, was that you know, we came to be able to be uh, actual owners of the concept, and now we're in a position to start thinking about expanding it. Where, you know, for the better part of 2020 and even into 21, it felt like, and Carl and I talk about this all the time. It just felt like survival mode. You know, how do, how do we make sure this thing survives? Because we both knew it was something special. But you know, so we we're gonna, we gotta you know protect this. We're gonna start. We're gonna talk about survival mode. Okay, look, when you open up yeah. a business, it's like your newborn baby. You have expectations all these things you expect to happen, you want to happen, you're gonna nurture it. But at some point, you guys have had to make the tough decision to say, we're not doing that, okay? Even with the movie theaters, probably easy because nobody's going to movies, made it a little bit simpler. But when you figure out that you are going to cut your losses and stop a business, how hard is that for you? I mean, because a lot of people, they don't. They drive it all the way down to the ground until they're broke, and that's it, they're done. Uh, can I, I can speak to that, uh, you know, I think, uh, because, you know, I went around as we were breaking these places down and, and kind of, you know, closed the book on them. Um, some of them, it's, it makes all the sense in the world and it's very easy to do, right? Uh, you know, financially it makes sense. Operationally it makes sense. From a forecasting perspective, it makes sense. And that, that's the exact uh, feeling I had when we were discussing our agency concept that was associated with the movie theaters. Um, that was that was easy, right? It was a transition. It was a handoff. It was a, a transaction. It made sense on both part for both parties. You know, no hard feelings. Um, but that's much different when it comes to us. We're, we actually are just finalizing the sale of our Fort Lauderdale location for American Icon. That was much more difficult to do. Uh, you know, I had. Uh, invested a lot of time personally into it. Uh, I had uh, visions of what it could be in the future. Uh, it's, in a, it's in a great area that's up and coming in Flagler Village. And really it came down to the point of what do we want to do for the future, right? So Jason and I had some very long discussions over a very long time, <laughs> over a year, um, about the right choice to make for American Icon Fort Lauderdale. And ultimately what it came down to was what do we want to see the future of American Icon look like? And that future was us investing more into the distribution of our beers that we make uh, to the both on and off premise locations throughout the state. So growing the brand in that way. So we basically decided to sell Fort Lauderdale and then reinvest that money into growing distribution. So it, it was painful to do because we had brought people in to run that location that were near and dear to us that we had relationships with for a long time. And we actually transferred one of our chefs from Fort Lauderdale 
uh, up to Vero Beach, moved his life up here so that he could continue working with the company. Um, so it, sometimes it's, it's painful, um, and, and sometimes, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. And just, one thing I would add to that is, uh, you know, the, the hardest thing to do sometimes is just to take ego out of the equation, right? And just say, listen, this is the right move. You know, go back to this, the, even the agency thing, which, which Carl's right. That was an easier decision to make. But it was a brand that we had created. We had, we had built that brand from scratch. We had created the logo. And, and it is, you, you described it well. It's almost like a child, right? You, we, they, they didn't exist. And that it existed, and right. there was nothing in between other than just some thought and and uh, you know some hard work. So you know, walking away from it, while it makes sense, you, you do have to take your ego out of it and say, "Listen, this is the right move. Financially, it makes sense. Operationally, it makes sense. When it comes to American Icon, it makes sense." Even though I believe that you know we could make we could have made a go of it in Fort Lauderdale. That you know it was it was just before its time. And Carl's right; it's a great area. It's a it's a developing area. But for us, you know, we could spend the next six, nine, 12 months, you know, putting all kinds of additional efforts down there, or we can turn and refocus and pivot and, and focus on the distribution side of the business, which we believe is the, the real growth vehicle for, for American Icon in particular. So we're down to our last two minutes, and I've got one quick question for both of you. Give me a pretty quick answer. So you had a competitor, and like you said, you guys are all working together. Your enemy is my enemy. And... When Due South closed in Boynton Beach, how did you guys take a look at that? I mean, they, they seem to have a real successful operation and closed. That was a surprise to me. I mean, Carl, you, you probably know more about that than I did, but I, I was very surprised by not only the fact that they closed, but how they closed. Because I believed that that brand, you know, everyone knows the brand in the area. I mean, I feel like they could have, you know, made some kind of a better deal for themselves, not knowing the – listen, every – I'm an outsider in Due South, so, you know, it always looks different from the outside and the inside, and there may be more to the story than, than any of us know. I was just surprised by that it happened and how it happened, for sure. Carl, I don't know what you, you think about that. Uh, I agree. You know, the way that it all shook out, it just didn't make sense. Um, if you have a successful brand that's doing decent in distribution, um, I think that there probably could have been a way to downsize, relocate, uh, keep the brand alive. I actually reached out to the owner of and said those exact words, you know, how can we think creatively here for, you know, for a way of a way for us to keep this brand alive. Um, and then, you know, we discussed purchasing some equipment from them and, you know, looked at intellectual property for the brands and such. And it just didn't make sense for us, but, uh, I was sad to see it go, honestly. Yeah. Last question for me. Um, thinking about getting into a restaurant basin, how do I get a hold of you? How do you get a hold of us? Yes. If somebody wanted to pick your uh, brain, your brain consulting or wanted to talk to you about having you come in and manage their restaurant or mm -hmm. understand better how to what you do how would somebody reach you guys we uh we we have a website paradigm hospitality uh dot com we um we're pretty findable uh we know we, we could give you you know some better information but that's the best way i think you know go go to the website and uh we are in the process of building it out further because this is still a nation business for us but you know, we think that there is some opportunity there in the world, and and uh, we just want to make sure that you know every project we take on, Carl and I. The one thing we really believe in is that we we want to make sure we do it well. So we're not looking to take on ten or a hundred projects. We we want to do a, a few really great projects at, at a time that that uh, we can really feel like we can make an impact in. 
Hey guys, American Icon, how do they get there? What are your hours? Uh, American Icon is open seven days a week. Uh, we open at 1130 uh, daily and close at 9 p.m. Sunday through Thursday, and then we close at 10 on Friday and Saturday. The brewery business is just a different world, so the hours uh, the hours are a little bit different than your normal restaurant locations. Uh, and the location is uh, 1133 19th Place, Bureau Beach, Florida. It's uh, basically if you take 95 north from uh, from South Florida to Highway 60, you can head due east. Uh, it's Highway 60 and the railroad tracks. Guys, we can't thank you enough for being on the show. We appreciate learning more about you. What you guys are doing is absolutely incredible. Jason, you continuing in your father's footsteps is just a really cool story, and uh, we appreciate you being here. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to The Secret to My Success on Legends 100.3. 